Welcome to New Books Network, the African American Studies category. Today I have with me Professor Sharply Whiting, the author of Bricktops Paris, African American Women in Paris Between Two World World Wars. Let me say that again because it's like a mouthful. Bricktops <laughs> Bricktops Paris, Paris, African American Women in Paris between the two world wars. Hello and welcome, Tracy. Thank you, and I'm glad to be here talking with you about the book. Great. So, Paris. Um, so, first of all, how'd you birth this Bricktops Paris? It was a lengthy process <laughs> because I started out with so many women. Um, I had initially thought I wanted to do 40-something women. I wanted to look at the presence of Black women in Paris from as far back as the 18th century. But then I realized that I would be at it for quite a long time, primarily because Black women leave so few resources in the archive for you to find. So I, I decided to narrow it down to a period of time where women were traveling more frequently to Paris and I could get a cadre of them together. And I focused then on one woman, which was Ada Bricktop Smith, who was a, uh, who started out, well, she called herself a barkeep, but she actually was a salon and she also called herself a salon keeper. I mean, not a salon keeper, a saloon keeper. Saloon. <laughs> well, we may as well confuse the two, right? Cause salon mm-hmm. saloons, right? Um, and, but she, you know, she had one of the chicest clubs in Paris uh, and it, you know, it included people of all classes, of all races, backgrounds, etc. But it was considered especially high class, champagne, great entertainment, great food. And a lot of black people stopped, made a point to come to Bricktops when they visited Paris. It simply was historic. You had, it was like a bucket list, whether she was there or not, just to say that you were at Bricktops. And it made it a lot easier for me to track some women's um, in and out of Paris and their connection to Bricktop. So she became the kind of center, although she wasn't the, the work itself is not necessarily a biography of her. It's a biography of a moment in time in her life and a moment in time in the lives of the 25 other black women that I talk about. And out of those 25 other black women. I have to admit that the book pulled me because of Gwendolyn Bennett. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. So indeed, that was what pulled me. Who's your favorite? I have to say, I actually, hmm, I'm kind of caught between Alberta Hunter and probably Adelaide Hall. And I think it's because, and they're both entertainers. I don't think a lot of people know a lot about Adelaide Hall, but she kind of came on the scene and took Paris by storm and bumped Josephine Baker out of the limelight. And so she's an interesting figure. Didn't have as much longevity as Josephine, of course. But Alberta Hunter for me is fascinating because she was Bricktops. They were friends. 
and they had a very complicated friendship. And Alberta thought that Bricktop, of course, swiped a telegram that was meant for her to go to Paris. So when she finally does arrive in Paris, she has this, you know, ongoing grudge <laughs> that she kind of carries, you know, for quite a while because she really believes that Bricktop swipes this telegram. And of course, now Bricktop is famous and catapulted, you know, her name in lights, et cetera, in books when, you know, Alberta herself is quite talented, um, but she doesn't receive the same sort of accolades um, in the history books. But she's a fascinating figure. And what I like about her is that towards the end of her life, in her 80s, there's a revival around Alberta Hunter. And she begins singing in New York, you know, in the club scene. And she's got a beautiful, her voice is as strong and as beautiful in her 80s as it was, you know, in the 20s and 30s. So um, I think that's probably why I find her especially fi uh, fascinating because she's feisty in the same way that I found Bricktop um, fascinating. They're very feisty um, Southern women. <laughs> so, um, and, it, and it reminds me a little bit of my grandmother on my mother's oh. side, my maternal grandmother. Okay. okay, nice. It's like a, a Bell Hooks moment, right? Bell Hooks changed her name because of her uh, grandmother and yes. that maternal connection that we have as women. Yes. Well, that's all. well. you're right. I did not know about Alberta Hunter, so I will definitely, you know, I like that also, the newness of the names that you bring. You bring the names that we know and the names that we don't know um, in that recovery of Black women. So tell us about this cover. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, that's Adelaide Hall. Which is another oh, reason why we wanted to go with someone different. I mean, we love, I mean, I love Josephine Baker. Uh, and, um, but Adelaide Hall was, you know, she was a different kind. I mean, she arose the same, you know, she had given rise to the same sort of trepidations in the United States when she came on the scene. Um, in that, in her doing a little dig a doo in her little, you know, outfit that she has on the cover. Uh, and, you know, there was all sorts of questions about whether she was going to be responsible for taking down black womanhood in this risque outfit. Uh, and so it's all in the black newspapers, you know, of the time. And so she was fascinating to me. And then when she gets to Paris, of course, that photo is done in Paris and she takes it by storm. She's at the Moulin Rouge uh, and they've got a huge um, picture of her with her legs spread over the door of the Moulin Rouge. So when people are entering, they're entering under her legs. And of course, she does not like that at all. <laughs> so Paris for her, because she's quite the respectable woman. So um, she does not like that at all. And so she's very troubled in the ways in which she's being sexualized in Paris. Uh, and certainly, but she's benefiting from it, right? So Josephine mm -hmm. has already kind of helped pave the way. Uh, but she's very resistant when they attempt to, um, when Paul Collin, who does a, a number of sketches of, of Josephine, attempts to get uh, Addie Hall to take off her clothes. She's like, no, that's not happening. Um, but I thought the photo, though, itself was, you know, quite, you know, I mean, she's beautiful. And that's one reason why I thought this was a great photo. It's it's not Josephine Baker. Um, it's somebody, though, who's her contemporary and who's younger, though. And she's just, she's, you know, she's, she just looks beautiful. And that for me was very important, the beauty of Black women, um, to showcase it in all of its different shades. Uh, and Addie Hall was kind of captured that for me with the little kiss curl and, you know, all of that. So she, she is. And it's, and it's funny because when I first looked at it, I did think it was Josephine Baker. Everybody and it, does. That, and I look again, I'm like, no, that's not her. So that was well done. That's a, that's the great recovery of our black women. 
So now also your book does this wonderful thing that I noticed. In the beginning, we get this great scholarly piece about these women, who they were, where they studied, um, how they came in and out of Paris, what they did in Paris. Um, and then all of a sudden, it becomes this narrative. <laughs> yes, you know, I switch like, it up, right? <laughs> oh, I, I was like, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have to read this twice. You know, I was like, this is fabulous because you're captured. And on top of it, it's a murder mystery. Yes, yes. Well, okay. I love murder mysteries. Okay. So, um, and I have to say, Walter Mosley is one of my favorite writers. There we go. Um, and I like the noir genre. And so I wanted to, again, it's like, as I say in that, you know, forward to the murder mystery, I just couldn't let go of Bricktop in this world. I was so drawn into it. So I decided, well, let's recreate it um, using the backdrop of Paris and what Paris was like then, the kind of gangsters all over the place. And, um, and then I can bring in all these characters and imagine them in all sorts of ways. And so in that way, I could actually really inhabit Bricktop. And her voice, which was playing in my head the whole time I was writing because I had the opportunity to go and hear recordings of her uh, in the archives at Emory University. So I felt like I really could capture her voice and I could extend my connection with her through this murder mystery. And um, it actually is the second murder mystery I wrote because I do, on the side, I kind of write under Tracy Whiting. I write um, a series of murder mysteries, uh, international murder mysteries, um, and under uh, called the Havala Gay series. And it takes place in France for the most part, but she travels all across Europe and she's a professor. So she's a bit more, she's contemporary. She's more like, you know, me, I, I suppose you could say, since she's a professor and, you know, she's in Paris on sabbatical and she's always running into trouble and having to solve these crimes. Um, so, but, so since I was already involved in that project, that's what made me kind of turn to the murder mystery in that project. And I teach a course here at Vanderbilt on black detective fiction. So, um, so all of that kind of came together in an interesting way. And I thought it made a fun addition to the book um, that I could revivify these characters and I didn't have to stick so closely to the archive and what really happened. I can, I can let my imagination take flight. Well, I'm going to say that you did. I'm going to be in the cheering corner when I see this on, I don't know, Hulu, own, uh, Netflix, because I've watched um, several shows about white writers with Hemingway. And I said, when are they going to make a show about us? Because we are out there and there's some fun. So when I was reading this, I was like, here it is. It's right here. Right. I was like, Tracy has done it. I love this on page 179, mm -hmm. right, where she's in, I mean, you just bring her home. I'm going to just read just a little bit. Okay. She aimed the knife at the bar where the baron sat smugly. The blade caught his sleeve, anchoring the delicate dark fabric and him to the polished wood. I think you meant to pay for the bottle of whiskey. She smiled sweetly. The baron tugged his jacket sleeve hard, dislodging the knife and made a light clinking sound as its blade flipped and bounced off the bar onto the floor. A new, a few newly loosened threads of material rose from the sleeve. He returned her smile while reaches inside his jacket. Jane Jane moved her hand into the front pockets of her cooking apron. She pulled out a saw and a razor blade knife, prepping for another assault. 
a flash of light from the steel blade and twang twinkled with each smack against her lean, open hand. That for me, I'm like, I just want to know what's happening. This woman is strong because it's a woman and a knife and a blade. (laughs) That enough. And I thought, well done. I definitely enjoy this. Uh, reading that. It was fun. And I can see that. Can you see that um, in the movies? Am I, can you see that? Well, of course I can see it, right? <laughs> well, you know, and Chang Chang is, is kind of um, Bricktop's mouse, right? So we got Easy Rollins and, yeah. and we got mouse who do certain go. things that, you know, Bricktop won't let, you know, it's like trying to make Chang Chang conform to an idea of, you know, she's a young woman and she wants her to be proper. Um, and Chang Chang's like, that's all. I can be proper, but, you know, I, I got to handle this. This guy is, you know, he's disrespected you. And so somebody's got to handle this. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I thought this was, I, I could see this as a series. You know what I mean? I thought, this is it. This oh, is what, this sweet. is, absolutely, this is what we need. This is what we need, you know. I'm not an Atlanta Housewives kind of person, but this, this, I'm with you, the mystery. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, she, you, you grabbed it. It was good. So uh, the next time I can find my way to Vanderbilt, I might just sign up for one of your classes just because. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> The door is open. Okay, good. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep that. Um, why do you think that these women and this book is so important to African-American studies and even women's studies? Right. Well, I think for one, as you've just said, I, I think so much of our history is basically, you know, covered. Uh, we have, particularly in the, with respect to Paris. Uh, and so when all when everyone thinks of Paris, even despite you know, the, the issues that we're dealing with today um, and what's happened in Paris, what's happened in the United States, what's happened in Barcelona. Uh, when one thinks of Paris, one thinks about a place adding a certain kind of magic to one's life. And, you know, for black women, the idea is that Paris, they too can take part of this magic and this magic. And that hadn't necessarily been written about in the ways in which, as you've already said, Hemingway has been written about, Gertrude Stein, you know, and others. And so there's there's a great deal of projects, recovery projects um, that I would read that involve white women that would barely mention, you know, black women, primarily because they would say, oh, well, they weren't there long enough. So they didn't really count as expatriates. Right. So so the whole idea of the expatriate narrative, they were jettisoned from that because some of them didn't stay forever or stay long enough for those writers who were um, scholarly writers who felt that they qualified. And so what I wanted to do is to turn that expatriate narrative kind of on its head and open it up so that it would be more inclusive and also to demonstrate how travel for black women is just as transformative as it is for everyone else. So when one talks about so-and-so Joyce going to Paris and all of a sudden his life is transformed, clearly we know Baker's life was transformed, but there were so many others um, whose lives were touched by Paris, you know, for a while, whether they were writers or artists, you know, or entertainers, um, and they could return back to the United States anew with a different perspective. And many, most of them did return with the exception of Baker, as well as Adelaide Hall and Elizabeth Welch. Adelaide Hall and Elizabeth Welch ended up being expatriates in London. 
Um, and so, you know, oftentimes, so that's another narrative that needs to be written. Um, there's not a lot about black women in London um, and the ways in which London, too, could, was transformative. But Paris is the narrative, though, that really kind of captures people's imagination. They think about it as a, in a romantic way and all of these things there. So London doesn't quite sound as, you know. As you know, it doesn't have the same flair as Paris. Um, And so, and being a French scholar, of course, naturally I'm going to write about Paris. But um, it was very important for me that Black women become part of this narrative, that our stories are told, uh, that people understand that, you know, I I think I I opened the book with a quote from, you know, Aristotle talking about the, um, essentially the possibility of place um, and the importance of place. And basically where you are at a particular moment in time in place uh, can absolutely change the way you view things in your perspective. And each one of these women, and I opened the quote with, of course, Lois Melu Jones, the artist who basically is talking about Paris and all its possibilities for her. You know, that Paris put her foot on the ground. Uh, and so for Black women, that's really important. I think, you know, and in today's, you know, as we move, you know, in different spaces, you know, and think about the world in a, in a in, you know, and global kind of connections, it's very important to remember that many women did this before we did. And, and therefore it's always been possible, even if it's been difficult, it's been possible. And they realize, they actualize their dreams when they got there. And we can do that too. Oh, see, I'm going to call you my shero. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, absolutely. It has been done before. We can do it again. And I love the way you're flipping the expatriate on their head because you're correct. Black women couldn't stay longer. You know, they didn't have the money. They didn't have the means, but they were there and they were transformed and they should be recognized for that great power. That great power. Excellent. Excellent. Is there anything you'd like to add that I didn't ask? Well, Actually, no, you've been quite thorough. <laughs> okay, okay. And, um, and I'm gl- I just want to say I'm very glad you enjoyed the book. And I'm glad that you enjoyed the second part of the book because I was tempted to break the book in two and just extend the nonfiction. Um, but I was like, you know, this makes a nice, you know, this complements it. And so I'm, I was hoping that the reader response would be exactly what your response has been. Yes. Well, well done. It was I have not seen anything like this. And it's it's a it's it's important. It's like we're seeing two worlds. I mean, the women are living in two worlds, but you give the reader the moment to live in two worlds, to understand their real life and what they did, and then to live into that fictional place as if it happened, and yet it still brings us on what actually happened. So you still offer a reader two different worlds, right? I'm a scholarly head, so I love to read scholarly stuff. But on the same time, I want to be entertained, and I don't have to put the book down to be entertained. Right. right? So you, again, job well done. And I hope our audience, for all those that are listening, will pick up Bricktops Paris, African-American women in Paris between the two world wars. Thank you so much, Tracy. It has been such a pleasure chatting with you today. All right. Thank you.